welcome to another episode of Behind the Broadcast. I'm Will Charlie. And I'm Louis Sykes. This week we'll be discussing the importance of regional journalism, how it's created, produced and crucially, how it differs to the national news. We're going to be talking to BBC Look North presenter Carol Malia. She's been keeping viewers in the Northeast up to date on regional news for more than 25 years. And having grown up in Northumberland myself, I've seen a lot of Carol's work. So it's great to see the other side of the camera and how it all comes together. Carol has covered a huge range of stories, including many of national importance, such as the 2010 mass shooting by Derek Bird in Cumbria. But all of these have been targeted at a specific regional audience. We'll be learning how to make news with a regional focus and deliver stories that really matter to a local community. Plus, we'll be finding out if regional news is a good starting place for young journalists today. Carol has a lot of experience in regional journalism. Before Look North, she started in print and then worked at Tiny T's television and BBC Local Radio, both as a reporter and producer. With this wealth of experience, we can't wait to talk to her. But first, we're going to start with a little quiz on what this episode is all about, regional news. Hi, Carol. Thanks for joining us and being prepared to give us an insight onto what goes on behind the scenes. So we've got a quick little quiz here. A few questions about Look North and then some other questions about some recent news stories I've seen uh, in the northeast over the last few days. Okay. So um, we'll start off with who was BBC Look North's first presenter? Oh, first. Is this a trick question? Mike Neville. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the correct answer. Do you know the, um, the three radio stations, BBC radio stations for the North East and Cumbria? I'll correct you actually, Louis, as of two days ago, we now have four. So BBC Radio Cumbria, BBC Radio Newcastle, BBC Radio Tees, and now BBC Radio Sunderland, which is yes. for the duration of the pandemic to, um, I mean, it's, it's the biggest population of a city in our area, Sunderland. And so now it's got its own specific provision um, which can only be a good local service. <clears throat> so I'll move on to a few uh, quick questions about uh, recent stories then. Um, so a figure skater from County Durham uh, can't go to the ice rink at the moment. Um, so how is she training for her skating? Oh, I remember these shots were amazing. Did you see the piece? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, she was amazing. It, it opened with this, this girl... Um, as though you would think she was on ice skates, she's wearing roller skates and she's in a car park and she's rehearsing her moves that way. And she does it in the street, even if she's just wearing her trainers. So she gets these amazing spins with lift from a standing start, which I just find incredible. She's a really talented girl. She's classed as an elite now, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So yeah, that's definitely the right answer. Um, <laughs> so there is a woman from Red Car uh, who has had what tattooed on her arms? Oh, no, I don't know this one. No, no. So that one was, uh, the answer is she had a, a steelworks or a blast furnace tattooed oh, yes. on her arm. Yes, the SSI former steelworks. Yes, of course she did. Yes, yeah, Got yeah. Why did, mm -hmm. why did I forget that one? Such a vital piece of local news. Uh, <laughs> and which major transport system in Newcastle is having once in a generation work done on it? Are you talking about the Metro? Yes, yes, that is the Metro. Yes, yeah. but for, for the, the viewers who aren't from the North, um, the Metro is similar to the Underground, but of course a lot better because it's from the North. It's the Tyne and Weir Metro, actually, and it was, it was the first integrated transport system in England, which involves buses and all sorts of things and uh, other, other sort of cross-pennine trains, etc. There you go. Yeah. Right. I could bore you for England, couldn't I? I'm so... <laughs> no, no, that's, that's perfect. 
I love this isn't just a journalism podcast, it's also a history podcast too now. <laughs> right. Well I, I think I think Will Will's about to get us back on track to the journalism stuff now. So oh dear. Uh, okay. Uh, these are all great stories. So we'll we'll come on now really to how those stories actually get produced. So a question we've got for you really is how can journalists decide which topics are most relevant for regional audience? How do we choose the tattoo story, but for example, maybe not another small local story? It's always a good question, and I always worry that sometimes it's a bit subjective, depending on who the final decision maker is. Um, we do have more of a committee system than that. So the way it works for us, for example, is we have a morning news meeting at 8.30, and that involves a range of people from radio, from online, and it, you kind of get a good cross-section of opinion on stories, and everybody discusses it, and they try to envisage how it might look for the various platforms or how it might sound. Um, and that can often swing it. Um, practical considerations often come into it as well. Can we get there? Can we get a crew there? If we can't, then we can't, you know, if we've got a story without shots, we can't use it, can we? So, um, but for radio, it might work. So lots of different news judgments come into it as well. Um, and often it's what's talked about on social media. It's whether somebody's phoned in and tipped us off about something. Um, so yeah, news, news judgment is tricky. It's very, it's very difficult to get right for those, I would say, when you get to the midpoint of a programme, down below that midpoint, it's a bit more creative and therefore more difficult to decide upon because it's often a matter of taste and trying to second guess what your viewers might like to, to see. Um, the first half is usually quite straightforward. Um, it's it, the, the big news story of the day usually presents itself. Um, and you just try and cover it um, in as creative a way as you can. Speaking of, um, of, of kind of the big stories, um, obviously the big story at the moment uh, everywhere, nationally and globally and regionally, uh, is COVID-19. Um, so how, how often do you find uh, in regional news you have to report on, on COVID-19? And does it kind of tend to kick off other stories on the agenda? Can it be a bit of a struggle to, to fit it in with other things? Oh no, um, COVID is the is the absolute dictator of the news at the moment, and rightly so. I, I mean, it's it's one of those times in your life that you'll never forget, um, and it has such far-reaching consequences across every part of our lives that we we regularly could fill the whole news pro program with COVID, but we have to make a conscious decision to try and add other things into it because I think so far into it, people need a bit of relief, and the biggest response I get is from people who've enjoyed, if I had the opportunity to, to, to inject a little bit of appropriate humour somewhere in the programme, it's almost as though they've been parched and they've been waiting for this, you know. Um, so I always try and add some light and shade if I can, but COVID, obviously, it's, it's a massive story, as you well know. It's, um, it affects everything, and I think it will do for some time to come. The whole mental health crisis, uh, the economic crisis that will follow on from this will just resound for years. Uh, and education, of course, as well. So I think we'll be dealing with COVID in terms of news for many years to come. Uh, well, as they say, I guess every national story has a local angle on it, uh, and COVID is a fantastic example of that. Yeah. Um, but just zooming out a little bit, obviously you've had a wide range of roles in your career. Um, could you perhaps just tell us a little bit about how you went from a reporter at a local paper to the, you know, the area's main programme and, and why you did choose to switch to broadcasting? Yeah, I, um, I still pinch myself, actually. I'm not quite sure how it happened, and I feel like exceedingly lucky. I think 
it did largely have a lot to do with being in the right place at the right time, which you can't drive yourself. Um, but I had enjoyed my time. Obviously, I went from um, Darlington College, where I did the diploma in journalism, and straight on to um, a weekly, a daily newspaper called the Hartlepool Mail, which was fantastic training. Um, and I went from there and got a good news grounding in all sorts of things, covering court, council meetings, the whole lot, four leaf clovers, you know, those quirky ones. <laughs> and then getting on to BBC Radio Cumbia was my first broadcasting job um, as a producer. But again, it was just a case of sitting through the boards and sitting through the tests and the sound tests, etc. Um, and just jumping through those hurdles, over those hurdles and getting the job at the end. And then from then, um, television came and knocked on the door, if you like, which was nice. I, I was rather headhunted, really. Um, and it went from there. So from Tyne Tees, went on to, from Border Television, went on to Tyne Tees. BBC told me of a position that was coming up when the long-standing presenter, Mike Neville, was leaving and invited me for interview. And that was it. That was 26 years ago. <laughs> Can't yeah. believe it. 26 years, goodness me. Yeah, but it's been extremely varied within that. It's not like sitting doing the same job every day. Um, the, the news agenda is so varied, usually a bit different at the moment, um, that you feel as though you're doing a different job each time you go in. Yeah, gosh. So <clears throat> that sort of transition, because as you said, is quite varied, the sort of news that gets reported on. So that transition between print to radio and to TV, do you think that's still a viable way to, to do you think that's still viable to transition like that now? Uh, are the skills quite versatile between different areas of journalism or has it become a bit more area specific? It has become more area specific, I would say. Um, I don't think any skills you gain in the area are, are going to be wasted skills, but the way the industry is at the moment, jobs in print just aren't there to the same degree anymore. Um, even jobs in television and regional broadcasting are starting not to be there anymore. And I'm sorry if this is bad news. Um, I think the focus now obviously is digital and online provision. So whatever skills anyone can gain in uh, video journalism, social media journalism, um, really they, they are the vital requirements these days and going forward. And obviously, as you said, it's changed a lot. And the grounding perhaps that you had isn't quite the same as what you can have now, but do you still think that starting in local news is a very good place for student journalists and trainee journalists, you know, in terms of establishing contacts and learning the skills of the trade? Well, I can speak from my experience, and I think it gave me such a grounding to get to know an area, uh, get to feel comfortable in an area, make contacts. So whatever your journalism is, whatever platform it's on, you still need your contacts. And the way you make contacts is not sitting in an office on a chair and it's not typing on a keyboard. It's, it's getting out there. You can make contacts, yes, initially through social media and stuff, but you need to, to meet people face to face if they're ever gonna trust you with the big story one day that you may want to, to have. Um, so I would still say, yeah, keeping local so you can meet people, keep your ears open, your eyes open on the ground, Definitely. It's, it's always going to be a good starter. And also, I think it's impressive to employers even now if somebody starts there and really cuts their teeth at that sort of level. Um, it's a good it's a good grounding. And you find that you cover so, such a broad spectrum of stories um, that it's, it's, it's worth it. It really is, in my opinion. So as we've 
covered there's there's been quite a few roles you've had uh, as a journalist uh, what would you say was your favorite role though and do you think you'd ever go back to reporting or producing or is kind of presenting definitely where you want to be the current role is amazing and i can't believe i've held it for so long now um i keep thinking somebody's going to find me out one day um but it's wonderful it's 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 very very privileged um to cover such a massive area that I know so well and where I'm bringing up my family at the moment as well, it, it affords me a lot of privileges, um, such as, I don't know, walking along the, the wings of the Angel of the North when it was being assembled in a, a, a fabrication yard in Hartlepool, um, walked along there with Anthony Gormley, the actual artist behind it, and that just sticks in my mind. Being there for the, the opening of the uh, Sage Gates Head, doing live OBs from, from the opening of the Baltic, the Millennium, everything. It's just amazing privileges afforded by the job. So yes, this is obviously a highlight. Um, I loved my time at Time Tees as well. It was a really fun young newsroom and I had come across from Cumbria and then I found myself back in my home city of Newcastle and at the age of 26. So I went a bit mad. I had my bachelor flat in uh, Time Mouth and I had a lovely time. A year and a half. So that was a highlight in terms of sociability and, and on a personal life scale. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think those two. But I think the hard, the most rewarding job was my first production job in radio. Um, producing three hours of all speech breakfast news um, was really hard, but really rewarding because at the end of that shift, you really felt like you'd, you'd earned your money and um, put together a nice package of um, listening for, for, your, for your audience. Obviously, you've always worked in regional news, um, and that comes with its own skills. Do you think it is substantially different to national news, and would you ever want to make that transition? Um, I had a couple of opportunities to make the transition, and I chose not to. And for the rare occasion in my life, I chose personal life balance. Um, don't regret that one bit. Um, we still have very much a different picture you know, the regions aren't as well funded as national news. And that's, and that's always going to be the case. It's a bit like comparing the city of London with Leeds or not so much Manchester anymore with Leeds, Newcastle or Glasgow. You know, it's not the same. You're going to need that flagship area and the national news will always be our flagship provision. Um, but regional news at the moment in terms of figures is so well appreciated. We've got an appreciation index, AI, which is the BBC is very hot on using, of over 85% which is massive. And um, the strongest viewing figures on BBC One of, across the evening agenda. So we're very well appreciated by our local audiences. And I think if I worked in national, that connection would be lost. Um, yeah, it would, be, it would be a nice challenge. It would be great to say, yeah, I worked, worked alongside Fiona Bruce or uh, Hugh Edwards and, and covering all the major international stories as a correspondent would, it, would have appealed not now, it's not for me now, but it would have appealed perhaps 10, 15 years ago. Um, but I don't regret what I'm doing with regional news. It's just, you've got a duty to present the news um, impartially, accurately, with creativity as much as you can in regional news or national news. So the, the, the standards are still there. Um, it, dep it depends what you want. I mean, you'd have to be very ambitious to get onto the national news uh, lineup, um, which is a good thing to aim for. Um, and you have to be ambitious also to get into the regional side of it as well. And I don't think people appreciate that, that they're still, their jobs are very, the very job, sorry, the jobs are very much still in demand. So lots of differences, lots of funding differences, 
Um, we are deliberately warmer and a bit more relaxed, um, try and have a little more humour because that's what our audiences tell us they want. They don't just want a regional version of the national very, very straight delivery. So that's, yeah, so yeah, differences. And just to um, jump in there really, you obviously talked about the fourth new radio station, Radio Sunderland. COVID has changed the whole way we view the country. You know, it can be split up into tiers. Tiny areas have their own rules. Do you think that local news has become more important to audiences or has it always been this important? I think at the moment um, it's it's in times of crisis that the BBC still tops the list in terms of uh, where people turn to for their news and that for me gladdens my heart because the amount of dare I use it, a Trumpism fake news around online makes me shudder and I think the provision of accurate news is absolutely vital going forward um, and it's something that I really think, you know, the world of regulation will open up job opportunities. Um, regulating the internet will be a massive burgeoning area of employment, I think, just to make sure that people are consuming the right sort of news and not becoming narrow-minded and not becoming extreme in their views because they're not open to other opinion, other sides of the argument. Um, I can't even remember your question now, Will. I've gone off on a rant. My, one of my hobbies. <laughs> I was just saying with coronavirus and the tier system, and you know the way that the country's been split. Oh, the local news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, at the moment, local news people want to know what's happening. At the moment, we use a, a rundown of uh, COVID infection rates, which is council area by council area, and people want to know their infection rates per one hundred thousand, and they want to know what their neighbouring authorities' rates are, and they want to know what their auntie Peggy's rates are in wherever. Um, and so we use that. The, the 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 thirst for the local picture is huge because the picture is so different between regions at the moment, um, to the point where I did worry that it was becoming divisive and almost competitive between who was doing better than the Northwest and who was doing better than the Southeast, and who was driving the current, you know, um, new variant rises. Um, but that, it, it definitely at the moment, people cannot get enough local news and local information about what's happening right outside their door, uh, what's happening as, finitely as their local council area and that's what we're hoping to provide because I think information at a time like this when people can become panicked is just um, vital. Um, and I just have one quick last question. Um, do you think then Ben that, that regional news can kind of get a closer relationship with, with its audience than national news can? Oh without doubt yeah yeah and I'm sure my colleagues in national wouldn't argue with that. Um, you know, we live here, we work here, we can be seen here, we can relate to the areas here. Um, we pick up stories of, you know, sometimes you can be standing, I don't know, in the post office, in a community centre, in the gym, and you can hear something that needs to be looked at or examined in terms of a news story. Um, and that connection with the audience is, is, is vital. Yeah, it's, um, I keep using that word, but it is something that is treasured and something we mustn't ever lose. Great. Well, uh, thank you very much, Carol. It's been really interesting getting a better insight into regional broadcasting. Uh, I think we've all learned a lot from this and I hope our listeners have as well. But before we let you go, uh, we've just got a few real, real quick quick fire questions. Um, so how important do you think it is for regional journalists to, to get to know their patch? Oh, well, it's, it goes without saying, you must know your patch, especially if you're a journalist. If you don't know your patch, what are you doing there? <laughs> You won't know anybody, you won't know what's going on, you won't, 
how can you write about what's happening in a town if you don't get a feel for it and if you don't get a cross-section of opinions on certain stories affecting that town uh, yeah yeah you've got to you've got to know your patch another quick question what is a challenging story what perhaps what's the most challenging story you've done and why was it why was it so challenging oh um i think again it's a cumbria one and it was a dreadful one it was in now when would it have been 2011 um and it was when Derek Bird, a, a man in his, a middle-aged man, ran amok with a shotgun in the middle of uh, Whitehaven in Cumbria and shot dead his brother, solicitor, various taxi driving colleagues, and then just continued on this route of shooting random people standing in their gardens, in their driveways, walking down the street, and he killed 12 people. And of course, Whitehaven's quite a, a tricky place to get to ge geographically. And we just hammered across there with all the resources we could get. And that, that was tricky because the situation was ongoing and he was still at large. He, he hadn't been caught at that time. I was newly pregnant and standing in a public street reporting on this man who'd run, am run amok, uh, feeling very vulnerable, actually. Um, and then, thankfully, we had the news that uh, he turned the gun on himself and the, the situation had ended but the shockwaves in that community obviously were huge for years afterwards so yeah that was a that was a, a very memorable very hard story to cover with the list of dead people um that i had to read out on the program was uh, you know each each one a, a family um in devastation and to lighten it up back up a little bit um if, if you could be in any other job what would it be oh do you know i always had a <laughs> i would quite like to be one of two things, um, a swimming teacher. <laughs> I'd love to teach adults to swim. My passion is swimming. Um, Gosh. And I, yeah, and I've had so many adult colleagues who, who go on these amazing trips to Sri Lanka and New Zealand and Singapore, wherever they're going. And they, they visit the most amazing waterfalls and rivers and glacial lakes and stuff. And I say, oh, that's been amazing having a dip in those waters. And they say, oh, no, I can't swim. And these drive me nuts thinking well they're missing out on such a massive part of their travels because um, to me swimming is just a, a brilliant addition um, to, your, to your whole psyche really especially wild swimming um, though I, I'd quite fancy yeah teaching some adults to swim even at whatever stage whatever age they are I think I'd, yeah, I'd feel quite a sense of reward from that. That's our final question really I guess um, we hope that this has been helpful to our listeners and we hope that some of those are trainee journalists what's the best advice you could give to them or you know to young broadcasters now build up your social media presence never post anything that could be cast up to you in an interview that you are embarrassed about can't justify or reveals a partisan side of you so i know it's hard because you guys will have grown up online really um but from now, you need to make sure that you are impartial in everything you do, because all of these, you know this, all of these things could be trawled through. And, and you do not want this coming back to bite you if you're trying to go for a job in journalism, particularly if it's an organisation like the BBC, where impartiality is hugely important. Um, so, yeah, tool yourself up, make sure you've got the skills. The video journalism obviously is huge. Um, you could still, you know, that, that work experience side of it, those placements 
are really important. Um, just, just get in anywhere you can and get anything on it, get anything in print, get anything online that's under a banner, uh, you know, an organization's banner. Um, and then that will give you something to refer to when you're trying to go for those jobs at the end of the day. And also brilliant training. Um, seek out a couple of mentors. There are lots of mentor schemes around. Uh, one of them is run by Robert Peston at the moment. I think he's more or less connected with secondary schools, but he may have extended that that sort of whole mentoring guidance scheme. Um, so yeah, the, the, lots lots to do. Make sure you've, you've obviously got fantastic grades when you leave university <laughs> to put yourself above and beyond everyone else. Um, but yeah, um, doesn't harm as well. If, you're, if you get a foot in the door and you get an interview, make sure you've got at least three good stories to take to them and you've given them consideration in terms of how they could be treated, how they could be made visual, how they could be represented online, and that you've covered all angles. Uh, well, Carol, thank you so much for speaking to us. Um, it's been so informative, so useful. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Wish you all the very best. So it was really interesting to speak to Carol there. And I think that advice at the end for new journalists is really useful. One thing I thought that really stood out was how digital media has become really important, but it, it hasn't replaced the in-person groundwork that you have to do as a reporter. I also thought it was, you know, very refreshing to hear from someone who spent their whole career serving one particular community. You know, we often hear about uh, TV and radio journalists who move around the country. So it really emphasises here how necessary it is to know your patch and how much that really matters. Well, I think that's all. Louis? Yeah, a real interesting episode this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. and We hope you'll tune in again. Remember to comment on our social media what you thought about the episode and what you want to hear next. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Behind the Broadcast. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.